Have you heard? 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 Welcome to Have You Heard? I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And I'm Jack Schneider. And Jack, I don't know if you're aware of this, but our first anniversary of being podcast co-host is rapidly approaching. Which is why it's time to come full circle and do another episode about vouchers. The very first episode we recorded together was a conversation with voucher superfan Travis Pillow. And then a bit later, we visited a related topic, tax credit scholarships. In case people haven't listened to... uh, our two previous episodes where we talked about vouchers and tax credit tuition scholarships, and in which case, shame on them, uh, hit the archive people. Um, It's worth quickly distinguishing that uh, vouchers are state dollars that go to families, uh, often families who qualify for these programs because they meet some low-income threshold um, that enables them to use these state dollars to send their children to private school. And the tax credit tuition scholarships uh, are tax credits that go to individual donors who make financial contributions to private schools, which then use those dollars to give scholarships to students. And we did an episode where we talked about actually a case where uh, donors could earn money um, by exploiting a loophole in the tax code to do this. Today, we're going to be looking at what those private religious schools that get taxpayer money, whether it's via vouchers or tax credit scholarships like Jack was just describing, what they actually teach. Our guest is Rebecca Klein, who is the education reporter at Huffington Post and has been doing some pretty amazing investigating into this question. But before we bring Rebecca in, I'd like to do something we haven't done for a while. Jack, I want you to climb into the time machine and go back two centuries to answer a question for me. How is it that our public schools ended up being secular in the first place? And I really hope that the time machine has heated seats because it is freezing outside today. So, Jennifer, I've got the dial set back. Hang on a second. Sorry, uh, the microphone became dislodged during time travel. I've got the dial set to the 1830s, uh, which has brought me back to the common school era, right? So this is the origin of American public schools. And actually the reason why there was not originally uh, a ban on religious education is that many of the boosters behind the common school movement uh, believed that a Protestant education uh, should be happening uh, in public schools. And that actually gives birth to uh, the Catholic schools that eventually become a target uh, of uh, school boosters who uh, take aim at it in the 1870s through uh, what eventually become known as the Blaine Amendments, uh, which outlaw uh, the expenditure of public dollars on private religious education. And then eventually in 1925, uh, the culmination of all this is the Pierce versus Society of Sisters Supreme Court case in which the Supreme Court rules that the state can oversee education but can't compel students to attend particular kinds of schools. So what we see here is a gradual evolution from an assumption uh, that the dominant religion should be taught 
to a point where Americans reach a kind of compromise around this in the early 20th century because uh, of religious diversity and because there isn't a single dominant religion. Uh, the compromise is that religion should not be taught in public schools and that public tax dollars should not be spent on this. Um, that, of course, is a working compromise. And we flash forward to today and we begin to see that uh, the working compromise is unraveling a bit. And it becomes even more complicated when we look at the fact that many of the young people who are attending private schools often are not attending those schools because they or their families adhere to the particular faith uh, that is the, uh, the religious affiliation of that private school. Uh, the vast majority of private schools are religious schools. And so people who believe that they're getting a better education for their children um, by sending them to a private school are often sending them to a religious school where there is a little to know government oversight and often no record of uh, the decisions being made around what is taught and how it's taught. I want to bring in our guest who has been delving into that very issue. Rebecca Klein is the education reporter for Huffington Post. She recently wrote a multi-part series on just what private religious schools that accept taxpayer dollars are teaching. Rebecca, I'm curious about how you ended up looking into this question in the first place. Yeah, so I spent many months on this project, as you mentioned. Um, it, it started off as a kernel of an idea. I was looking into the curriculum that one school that Bessie DeVos had touted. Uh, I was looking into the curriculum that they used. And I, and I think it was an Abeka curriculum. And I ordered some textbooks and I saw that it was some pretty bizarre material in terms of, you know, how a secular educator would define bizarre. And so I talked to my editor about it and our first thought was, all right, let's, let's see how often schools that receive public funding through taxpayer voucher programs use this curriculum and expected that it would only be a few hundred and that it would only take me a few weeks to wade through all of it. And it ended up taking me much longer and we found that it was a, a few thousand. Walk us through how you did the research for these stories. As Jack mentioned during our intro, because the schools aren't subject to government oversight, the information about what they're teaching isn't something the public can just see, even though they're being funded by taxpayer dollars. So the first thing we had to do uh, to figure out this number was to create a comprehensive database of all the schools in the country that were, were receiving public money via tax credit or voucher programs to begin with, because I realized that no such comprehensive list existed. Uh, so, so that took a long time as well, because I found out that uh, there were a few states that weren't really keeping a list themselves. So it involved a lot of a lot of emailing, a lot of back and forths. And so I found a little over 7,000 schools around the country participated in a voucher or tax credit program uh, that three quarters of these schools were, were religious and that uh, about 30% were using a curriculum provided by either Abeka Accelerated Christian Education or Bob Jones. I'll pull out for you what I found for one state, uh, Indiana, which has one of the more comprehensive voucher programs. 
I found that last year, over $16 million in taxpayer money were going to schools for scholarships that use a Becca or Bob Jones curriculum. You mentioned a couple names that are familiar in the world of religious schooling, but I would imagine that they're new to many of our listeners. How did you pick the curricula that you looked at, and what can you tell us about them? I decided to look specifically at three different curriculum providers called Abeka, Bob Jones University, and Accelerated Christian Education, uh, because I found that these were the three most popular curriculum sources being used in, in evangelical Christian schools. Uh, Abeka uh, is, is created from the, is a brainchild of the founders of Pensacola Christian College, uh, which may be Uh, Some people may have heard of Pensacola Christian College is uh, a really far right evangelical private university in Florida. And on its website, it bans things like dancing and other satanic practices. So it's very religious. Bob Jones uh, University Press is was developed from professors at Bob Jones University. Uh, Bob Jones University uh, famously lost its tax-exempt status a few decades ago because it had banned uh, interracial dating on campus. So again, Bob Jones University is a very, very far-right evangelical place. Uh, And Accelerated Christian Education isn't affiliated with any type of higher education institution, but in many ways, it's probably the most extreme provider of curriculum of the three. its classrooms are, are really radical. Um, there's no teacher at the front uh, providing lesson plans or uh, having any type of back and forth with students. Instead, uh, under accelerated Christian education, classroom students sit in cubicles where they're separated from the nearest peer. Uh, all day, they're expected to sift silently through workbooks. Um, there's no active teaching going on. And if a child has a question, they have either an American flag or a Christian flag that they'll raise to get the attention of the of the class supervisor uh, to work through some of these multiple choice questions. Um, and these supervisors uh, don't need to have college degrees. And in one of the uh, workbooks that I obtained. In fact, it is listed as a detriment for supervisors to have a background in education. Instead, they prefer that they have a background in religion. It wasn't one of the big three providers that you talk about, but I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the curriculum uh, that is affiliated with the Church of Scientology, which was uh, one of the stories that you ended up writing about. Sure. Yeah. So over the course of creating my database of all the schools that uh, that accept public funding through these programs, I came across five schools that use curriculum provided by a group called Applied Scholastics. And uh, if you just took a cursory glance at the Applied Scholastics website, you'd see that it's uh, basically dedicated to to uh, spreading the ideas of L. Ron Hubbard, who is the founder of the Church of Scientology. So while Applied Scholastics and the Church of Scientology, they both say that they are not directly connected, uh, their ideas are deeply intertwined. So, uh, for example, the spokesperson for the Church of Scientology told me that L. Ron Hubbard uh, 
developed this study mat the, the study method used in applied scholastics in order to uh, proselytize and spread the word of his new church and 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 teach Scientology to other people. So, if you were to go to one of these schools, uh, it would have a uniquely Scientologist feel, even though they are vehement in describing themselves as completely secular and non-religious. Your stories are filled with eye-popping examples of what kids are being taught at schools that are now taking public money but are basically able to teach whatever they want. Part of what really surprised me about these curricula is how political they are. We're used to hearing about schools that teach creationism instead of evolution or uh, schools that teach that homosexuality is a sin. But a lot of the focus seems to be on grooming kids to be good conservatives and capitalists. That's so true. Um, it, when you read through these textbooks, it, you only, it only takes a few pages in to see that uh, they are extremely anti-union. Uh, being in a union is equated with laziness. Uh, extremely uh, pro-free market. Uh, it also, these textbooks also uh, take an extremely favorable view of public leaders like Ronald Reagan, an extremely negative view of presidents like Bill Clinton. Uh, in one book, it connects some of the um, some of the obstacles that Bill Clinton faced, connected it to his support for pro-choice causes. Um, so not only are these schools pushing a specific education, a uh, specific view of the world via science, it's also pushing a very specific worldview politically. Uh, it's clear how it wants these students to go on to vote. It's clear that they want them to have very specific types of families. Uh, and, and it's clear that they expect them to only engage in very specific activities. Last year, the Orlando Sentinel ran a big expose on what they called schools without rules, and they featured a school that used the ACE curriculum you've been talking about. They even had a picture with the kids sitting in cubicles, filling out their workbooks, and the principal, who didn't have a bachelor degree, sort of hovered off in the background. The spokesperson for the group that oversees Florida's private school tax credit program said, you know, look, these kids are making measurable gains in math and reading, which a lot of people would say is a sign that the school and its curriculum is working. So what, what do you say to that? I think that really depends what type of view you take in terms of what the, val what the purpose of education is. Um, I spoke to several alum of these schools who said that maybe while on the surface everything seemed fine and that they seemed to be achieving at the education level uh, while they were in high school, that they were doing well on standardized tests, that they knew how to take tests. Once they left this very specific isolated environment and entered the real world, that they felt like their entire education experience had, had been meaningless in some ways. They felt like they didn't really know how to think critically. They didn't know how to question uh, all these things that they had been taught. They were suddenly faced with contradictions on a day-to-day -day basis when they, when they met new people, when they went to job interviews, they didn't really know how to explain the education they had experienced because it was so different from the typical experience. Uh, when they were in college, uh, they were totally overwhelmed because not only had they been taught very specific things and a very specific way of looking at the world, they were taught that other views of looking at the world were evil. So when they came into contact with a professor who, who might be saying that 
evolution is is the way of viewing science as opposed to creation, uh, it was really eye-opening for them. And uh, so while maybe they might be doing well on tests, uh, I, I think it is certainly worth looking into whether or not that's enough for these students. Your discussion of uh, some of the inclusions in textbooks, like an emphasis on Ronald Reagan, reminded me of some of the textbook battles in Texas. Uh, and uh, the thing about the Texas story is that it's all public record. And so I'm wondering if you can talk at all about the degree to which there's any oversight over any of this and the degree to which any of it uh, is documented or can be tracked You know, as the person who uh, went about trying to hunt down uh, the facts. Maybe you can tell us about uh, how easy or difficult that was. Yeah, so in a vast majority of, of states that have these programs, there's zero oversight over what schools in voucher and tax credit programs are teaching, uh, quite literally zero. And so uh, what I did is I looked on every single school's website and, and many of the schools did advertise what curriculum they used because it was a selling point for many parents in this community. Uh, they wanted to send their child to a school that, that were, were using these textbooks. Um, and if a school didn't advertise what curriculum they were using, I followed up with them via email or a phone call. And, and a lot of them responded. Uh, you know, a couple hundred schools were very happy to tell me about what curriculum they were using. And they wanted to hop on the phone and talk about how great it was. Uh, there were some schools who said, we're not responding to this. And, uh, you know, many schools who just never got back to me. Um, but, you know, unlike if these schools were, were public schools or in, unlike if they had any type of real transparency, um, you really have to dig deep to find out where your taxpayer money may be going. There's, there's no standardized way of, of processing this information. Most people don't know where their money is going. And because there is so little transparency about what these schools are teaching, it's, it's really easy to, uh, make the surface level arguments that, you know, who doesn't want to help a low income child go to the school of their choice? Uh, who doesn't want to be part of helping a child achieve and go to the best, you know, potentially the best environment for them. But because there is such little transparency and oversight of these programs, it's, it's very hard to see the flip side of that and to see what it means to have these schools have such little regulation. That was Rebecca Klein, the education reporter at Huffington Post. She's the author of a recent four-part series looking at what private religious schools that get taxpayer money, whether through vouchers or tax credit scholarships, are actually teaching. Definitely check out that series. And Jack and I will be right back with a few additional thoughts. So, Jack. To celebrate our podcasting anniversary, I just happened to have brought with me some samples of a curriculum that Rebecca was talking about. I did something kind of like what she did. I read about the ACE curriculum, Accelerated Christian Education, and when I saw that you can order these online, well, I, I went a little crazy. So I now have an enormous stack of these at home. But the one I brought today reflects your personal learning preference. It's about history. This is uh, from a high school social studies unit, 
And there's a whole long section on, on Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who, let's just say he doesn't fare well. So here's your question. What was wrong with President Roosevelt's government programs? Jennifer, I think I need to see my PACE supervisor about this. <laughs> and technically, we're not supposed to be talking while we're completing this workbook. All right. Well, can I just read a couple of the answers because they're that good? Go ahead. A, President Roosevelt's programs were confusing to the American people because only initials were used to identify each program. That was very confusing. It was confusing. Yeah. I, I th- I'm going to go with A there. Okay, let's skip ahead to C. To lead a country out of a depression, government should spend less, cut taxes, and encourage more spending by individuals, not create more government programs. Well, I think that's the Paul Ryan answer. This particular curriculum, by the way, is filled with examples, like the one I just read. Lots of references to particular policies being socialistic or the government doing things that charities and churches should really do. It's as though you had a bunch of people who think the U.S. went off track around the Great Depression, and now you know here's their opportunity to teach kids the truth. Related to that, there's an interesting parallel with uh, some of the efforts to control the politics of the curriculum in traditional public schools. And so Rebecca, for instance, mentioned Ronald Reagan uh, and the positive portrayals of him in these textbooks. And it reminds me of uh, something that someone from Texas said uh, about Reagan um, when he was reviewing textbooks for state adoption. And he said, the way I evaluate history textbooks is first, I see how they cover Christianity and Israel. Then I see how they treat Ronald Reagan. He needs to get credit for saving the world from communism. The thing that makes the two cases different, of course, is that we actually have a lot of it on record uh, when it happens in public schools. Uh, So the, the Texas State Board of Education battles over the curriculum are well documented. Uh, and there were actually repercussions around uh, some of the actions taken by the state board there. And that's simply something that isn't happening uh, with regard to these schools that are receiving tax credit, tuition, scholarships, or uh, vouchers. Jack, I want to ask you to elaborate on something that you mentioned back way back at the very beginning of the episode about how one consequence of the expansion of these school choice programs, vouchers and tax credit scholarships, is that you can have kids ending up in schools that teach a fairly extreme ideological or religious view of the world without parents necessarily choosing that. I'm still thinking about that example Rebecca gave about the Florida school that's affiliated with the Church of Scientology, that you know you could end up in a school where you're being taught to follow the thing of L. Ron Hubbard. There's one more piece to this which is worth talking about, and that's the fact that many of the people who are eligible for vouchers are low-income families who may not be explicitly looking for a religious education, but who believe the dominant narrative that we hear so often, that private schools are better than public schools. And in fact, many of these states have voucher programs that you become eligible for either based on your family income or based on the test score performance of your local public school. And so given the dominant narrative about the preferability of a private school education, it's worth noting that 79% of private schools are religiously affiliated. And so it's not just that many of these schools are being funded with taxpayer dollars, it's that many children 
from low-income families are being channeled into these schools, um, and often without uh, you know a total buy-in with regard to the religious mission uh, or the kind of indoctrination, political, religious, and otherwise, that may be happening. Well, I have good news for you, Jack. I am going to leave with you today the sample editions of the Accelerated Christian Education Curriculum that I brought. So I'm hoping that by the time next time we reconvene in the Have You Heard podcast studio that you are singing a somewhat different tune. And on that note, I'm Jack Schneider. And I'm Jennifer Berkshire. And just a reminder that if you enjoy the quality content that Jack and I are serving up on a bi-weekly basis, leave us a review, preferably a positive one, wherever you consume your podcast content. Until next time, this is Have You Heard. <laughs>